At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. All right, I'm gonna have to admit that I think psychrometrics is a nerdy topic. If you're listening to this podcast, if you've seen the title and you're listening, you're a bit of an HVAC nerd. Just that's just my opinion. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell our guest this that we got John Stitzchok from Armstrong Fluid Technologies. This is the second time on the podcast, and we talked about what did we talked about last time. We talked about dehumidification and and how that affects a building. Well, this time we're going to talk about psychrometrics because it's important. And nowadays we got these cool apps that do all the calculations in the background for us. And off the top, you're going to hear me talk about a video that I made. And basically that video was to show you how to get actual capacity out of a machine. Like you have a rated capacity on the nameplate, but the actual capacity of the machine is spitting out. You can go uh, check that video out. It's going to be in the um, the podcast notes. The link to it is there. Anyway, let's get to this. This is, a, like I said, a nerdy topic. Uh, get your thinking caps on and just enjoy the conversation because I'm sure you're going to pick something up, one or two things from it. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and they have a Move Air product. That is their own exclusive brand of mini split and heat pump. And more importantly, they got the Central Move Air. Central Move Air is a indoor unit and outdoor unit that's matched, and it's a centralized heat pump system, right? We, we all know that electrification is happening within the industry, as we talked about on, on a podcast previous. So if you're looking to switch your customer up and get a centralized heat pump system, check out the Move Air units at Master Group. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas, a major mover, major player, baller <laughs> in the blue collar uniform industry. If if you guys are looking for, if you're a business owner and you're looking to provide your team with uniforms, that is an easy solution. They got Carhartt stuff, they got breathable, they got stretchy comfortable stuff. I've got a bunch of samples in my closet and I wear the pants quite often. I, I've tried the shirts on, but I have my own company branded shirts. So if you're looking for uniforms for your team that are blue collar industry stuff, check out Cintas. We got a landing page at Cintas.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Welcome to the HVAC know it all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, John. So as kind of I was saying earlier, psychrometrics is one of those topics that are are nerdy when it comes to the the average HVAC technician driving around in their truck. If if they want to learn more about psychrometrics, I would put them in the the nerdy category of of wanting to learn more about the the industry. And that's fine. I believe if you're here listening to a podcast in general about your your trade, you're you're already kind of in that realm to begin with. Would you agree with that? 
to some degree. I, w- I don't know if I'd go as far as calling it nerdy. It's it's <laughs> it's kind of just trying to be the the best you can in your field and and fully understand what's going on so that when you run into a problem, you can get an answer quickly and it's the the, the right answer. And gotcha. Okay, so. So you you don't think that it's nerdy, but I kind of think it's a little bit nerdy just be, just because just, just, just because you're, you're deep you're deeper diving than the average person. Anyway, so where I'm going with this is because back in the day, uh, I learned some formulas, and the the formulas were like BTU. I think they use the letter Q for BTUH equals one point zero eight times CFM times delta T, and there's there's a couple of different formulas. And that's the sensible, that's the sensible heat formula. Yep, there was a latent, sensible, yeah. yeah, there was a latent heat formula. There was one that, um, where it was delta enthalpy and enthalpy is like heat content of the air, like the total heat content of the air. And, um, and, and I, I haven't plotted that kind of stuff in, in years, right. On a psychrometric chart. Nowadays we have these cool tools. We got these smart probes that literally behind the scenes in an app do all these psychrometric calculations for us. So for instance, I did a video recently um, over at the Master Group's training center. They got all, a bunch of furnaces and ACs all lined up for training purposes. And they let me in to do a video. And, and I did a video with the smart probes, one in the return, one in the supply. Um, I got my CFM by looking at the, the way the, 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 the jumper pins were set up in the furnace and the, and the chart. I'm like, okay, the pins are there. The chart says that's how much CFM I got. So I put all this in, into, the, into the, the app and then I put the probes in and it spits out your actual delivered BTU capacity that the machine is putting out, right? You have like an input on your nameplate, you have an output on your nameplate, but those are just, those are your ratings. To get the actual, you can actually implement this with your smart probes. Now, if you didn't have smart probes that do it for you, you'd, you could take the readings yourself and impl- input them into the into the the equations and still get those numbers but i think it's valuable and in a way where like let's say let's say you throw a system in somewhere and, and the the, the customer's like oh it's not working properly or whatever and there's complaining well you can you can throw these probes in in the duct um get your cfm and then show them like you have a two-ton system your system is putting out two tons so it's working the way it should right it's it's just one of those things that you can use to your advantage at times you're not going to do it all the time but anyway i i think that nowadays that's cool but i i also think that people should know where these numbers are coming from and that's why i have you on the podcast is to talk about psychrometrics and and let's take it back to the basics and use a psychrometric chart to plot these points and find them ourselves so we know what the app is telling us so we we know where this information is coming from or derived from what what do you think about that i think that's extremely important and the more we rely on the technology the really the better understanding we need to have um because if you put in if you move a decimal point if you put in something in the wrong units you can get a wildly incorrect answer and if you don't have at least a basic concept and i think we've talked about this a couple times where you know you could have something that's incorrect and not even realize it because you just don't have the fundamentals down. And that's something that we've lost as all these computers and software have come out and we've leaned on them more and more. We really do need to step back and kind of understand the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what is, let's define psychrometrics. What is it? So it's, it's the properties of air 
and specifically an air mixture, and it's an air mixture between dry air and uh, water vapor that's you know in the air. And as you change the temperature and water content, you end up with different um, energies required to you know change the change the temperature of the air, change the you know water content of the air, and uh, you know the the chart has basically been used to develop a a matrix, if you will, and a graphical representation of all the different properties, you know, that you can have in a, in a, in an air uh, mass of air um, as you heat it, cool it, and uh, dehumidify it. And one of the neat things is, you know, as, as you're looking like at a, at a cooling coil, mm-hmm. if you follow and plot the how that coil actually works on the chart, some charts actually have. Uh, cooling coil curves on there to give you a, an approximation of what that coil is going to react. You'll see, you know, like if you take air from 75 degrees and 50% humidity and start cooling it, it starts reducing its uh, water content and getting drier before it hits the saturation line a little bit. And then you'll end up, you know, at let's say 55 and almost saturated, leaving the machine. And And that's how you can get, you know, moisture out of the air by just cooling it down the the air becomes more dense it can't hold as much water vapor water vapor condenses out and and falls out of the out of the air mixture and you end up with a, a drier cooler uh column of air that you use to move into the space and absorb moisture and absorb heat from the space mm-hmm. okay so we talked about this and and basically to to plot something on a psychrometrics chart it's it's fairly simple we only need to readings of the air it can be any two like we can get temperature and we can get relative humidity we can plot those two points and then we can look around that chart and see what the property of air at, at, at that point um, is giving us so you have a psychrometrics chart in front of you so what are what are some of the things we can take out of the air besides relative um our, our sensible temperature and our and our relative humidity so that's probably the two uh, easiest points to measure. You can use a regular, you know, thermometer to get your your sensible temperature, and then we have these, you know, digital sling psychrometers. It used to be an actual, you know, wet bulb thermostat or wet bulb, uh, you know, on a on a on a thermometer, and then a dry thermometer, and you'd sling it around for a couple minutes, and you'd get a get a reading. But now with the digital gauges, it's probably easier just to get relative humidity reading. And then you plot those two on the chart, and that'll give you, you know, important information like your dew point, which can be used to get a better idea of the actual, you know, moisture content. Because when you're looking at a relative humidity, you could be at, you know, 60 degrees and 80% relative humidity, and you're like, oh, that's that's pretty high relative humidity, but it's relatively dry if you actually plot it on the chart and then warm it back up to, you know, normal space conditions. Um, you'll you'll see that. That's actually not that bad of a moisture content, but if you relate it to dew point, you know, at sixty degrees and eighty percent, you're kind of close to, you know, maybe a fifty-five degree dew point. So you're like, okay, that's actually a pretty dry dew point, and I that's approximate. Don't uh, don't crucify me if I'm a degree or two off. I'm kind of glancing at the chart down here, <laughs> but um, you know, I like using dew point when you're trying to deal with humidities because it gives you just a a, a, a more exact measurement. Uh, in terms of it's not relative to the temperature. Yeah. Um, and then you can relate that directly over to grains per pound of dry air. And then if you know how many pounds of air you're moving off the chart, you can determine, you know, 
how much moisture your unit's removing or, or what you know whatever you're trying to uh, whatever information you're trying to get from there. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, have, having I've heard a lot of uh, other people within the the trade that that like this or or, or the the air quotes nerdy kind of techs in the trade that, that they they like to use Dewpoint as well because uh, I mean, let, let's say like like you walk into a room and and it, it it seems fairly dry as far as your relative humidity, but you stick like a cold glass down and that cold glass is sweating like profusely. Well, I mean that that's even though it looks dry as far as your RH, you could have um a dew point issue, right? Like, or, or your windows sweating or something like that. Right. And that's actually something I, I just experienced because I haven't lived in a very cold climate for a while um, where we're using the humidifier to keep the, you know, relative humidity at a comfortable, you know, felt, you know, relative humidity for, for inhabiting the house. But when the temperature dropped down to, you know, negative nine outside, we're actually resetting the humidity in the house to prevent the windows from sweating. Yeah. That's right. And it's something I've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the easiest ways to, to look at relative humidity for me is it's like the drying potential of the air. The lower the humidity, relative humidity, the more capacity that air has to pick up moisture. So if you, you know, are trying to dry a space out, you don't necessarily have to get it cold. That actually makes it more difficult. You, you usually want to get it you know, to 80 degrees or something along those lines and 40% relative humidity would dry out better than let's say, you know, if you had it at, you know, 70 degrees and 55% relative humidity, you know, it's just a little bit drier at, at the warmer temperature with a lower humidity. Um, and like, you know, if you just look at, and it's hard to do without the visuals, but if you go from saturated at 55 and you start moving right across the chart you can see you know at, at 60 degrees you're close to 80 percent relative humidity at 70 degrees you know you're close to 55 or so 50 percent and then as you keep moving right across the chart you get to you know even up to like 90 degrees and you're clear down to 30 percent relative humidity mm-hmm. so you know that's one of those things where if you have a client or a house that's giving you trouble and they say, oh, it was, it was humid in here, so I turned the temperature down. It, depending on how well that unit's going to dehumidify, that may not solve the problem because you know, as you get closer and closer to the coldest coil temperature you can get, um, and you get that room closer to that discharge air temperature, you're not going to have any reheat from the space to be able to warm that air back up and move that relative humidity away from the saturated, you know, regions you know 80 90 percent yeah and and that's why a lot of humidifiers they actually some of them i've seen where the control will actually give you an outdoor um an outdoor ambient number and the actual mm-hmm. percent rh that you should ar- be around setting it at, like like approximate right you know you know what i mean so it's reasonable to achieve yeah, as, right? as it gets colder outside they actually want you to dial that percent rh to a lower number so you're not sweating the windows right and i mean yeah that, that that would depend on the window grade too because there's some windows out there right, that are like three pane or whatever and and that cold air is insulated it, yeah they're, that cold air yeah. is not going to infiltrate through the first pane to the to the last pane that's facing the indoor of the the, the house so they, they may not sweat but i mean for, for the most part i a lot of windows will sweat because a window is a place where you're going to lose um heat because that cold air is is sort of is is moving through from the outside to the inside that 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 cold surface is going to attract the moisture it's going to sweat 
And and I've I've done it in in my house. I have um I've cranked the the humidity up to forty five percent, and on a really cold day, I look at the windows and they're sweating, right? And yep. and then and, and that just means the the window got to the dew point. That's right. Yeah, or below, and then it started to bring water out of the air, and that's kind of why we find dew points so you know interesting and important. Is you can you know if you look at what the dew point is, and it says the dew point is forty five degrees. If the window gets to 45 degrees, it's going to have water on it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and there's just, there's nothing you can do about it besides to lower that dew point in the space by either, you know, reducing the amount of humidification you have or even dehumidifying the space uh, with a dedicated system if you need to. Mm-hmm. So let me make a comparison between the the probes that the most, I, I, don't, I don't know, most are, but a lot of technicians are carrying around these days and and uh and a psychrometric chart because there's something that you can't do with the probes that you that you can do with a chart and you can actually physically see it so something i like to do so jjm alkaline technologies as you know we've been talking about them and we've done some experimental stuff with their neutralizers and i know for a fact that condensate coming out of a high efficiency heating appliance is acidic and i know for a fact their their condensate neutralizers bring that back out of the acidic sort of pH zone, right? I know for a fact because I've done the experiment. Now, some people say here here is a, here's like a, a question or a Q&A that came from them as well to help us understand this a little bit better. Some people ask, well, if why do I need a neutralizer if all my drain coming out of the furnace and all that is plastic? Well, a lot of times in an older home, you have drains that are not plastic. And the other thing that can happen too is Let's say eventually everybody puts a high efficiency appliance in their home, right? And everybody starts dumping acidic water from a water heater or a boiler or a a wall mount, um, tankless water heater, furnace, whatever it is. And and they start draining this water constantly um, down the drain. It could lead to more acidic water in the drain that flows into our... um, overflow drainage systems and, and animals get at and drink and stuff. There, there's, there, there's a whole lot to think about there, right? So that's one of the things that they brought to my attention that I want to relay back to you guys. A couple of things. Uh, Testo, they have their, their digital scale with, with the smart valve, the intelligent valve. Very cool stuff. What it does is it can, through the app, through the Testo smart app, a lot of people are still using the old Testo smart probes app but there's a Testo smart app that's way more intuitive, way, way better to look at, cleaner, more information on one screen. The scale and, and the valve together can charge a system with target superheat, superheat, subcooling weight. It's pretty cool stuff. I, I've used it. I just used it today, actually. Um, just recovering some stuff, but I used it. Uh, the other thing that is on the horizon in just a couple of days, I mean, there's been some sneak peeks of it already, but I'm going to show the actual tool on a couple of days when, when launch date is, and that's Navax battery powered tubing bender. Very cool stuff. They're break free series They're If you guys have used any of it, their tubing expander, they're flaring, uh, they're flaring gun battery powered. Now they have a bender that's coming out. So look for that. Uh, or used to do a lot when I worked in, in the world of, um, uh, critical environments like pharma and, and stuff like that. There would be a lot of points uh, to, to 
to, to pick up and look at in sort of like a graph form or over the course of time. And a, a lot of times I would ask the, the operator or, or the, um, the, the, the quality assurance people to, to plot me or to, to, sorry, to print me these plots. And I would look at them and study them before I even did the service call to see what is going on, what's happening. And, and where I'm going with this is having something to look at and study and, and just kind of take in, I, I believe is important to, to, to your process of how you're going to solve the, the problem. And, and one thing you can't do with the probes that you can do with a chart is let's say you walk into a problematic building and we talked about this before we hit record and, and you have some, some problematic numbers, your temp side, like, let's say you're, you're trying to cool a building and dehumidify dehumidify a building but the, the temperature in the building is too high the the humidity is too high you, you plot that on on your chart and go okay this is where the numbers are right now mr building operator mrs building operator where where does this building need to be in order to to run sufficiently or or to run where it the, the product in the building or the people in the building are comfortable and they say okay well it's supposed to be here well you can take those numbers and plot it so you can see where you are and see where you got to be. The, the probes won't show you that. The probes will show you where you are now, but they won't show you where you got to be. So that's that's where I think a, a chart comes in real handy is you can plot where you are, um, the problem where you're at, and, and the solution where you want to be and go, okay, so how do I get from here to here? Now, if you have to involve an engineer, a designer at that point, then maybe you have to. Maybe the equipment's not sized enough. Maybe Maybe it's not a sizing issue. Maybe now you have to put on your thinking cap and, and be the technician that you were trained to be and figure out why it's not. Maybe the airflow is not correct. Maybe the the metering device is not set up properly. Maybe if it's got hot gas reheat, it's not feeding. Maybe, may, maybe there's a blockage in the valve. Like Find out why we're here and how we get to there. Right, And that's something that you can see on a chart where the probes, you cannot see the difference between where you want to be and, and where you're at, right? And that's true. You know, that's when you start, you know, if you just get these readings and you don't plot them, you're like, okay, wh where, where am I at really? You know? And if you see, okay, I need to, you know, the lines going from upper, you know, right down to lower left. Okay. I need to dehumidify and cool the space, you know, or if it's going from, you know, lower right towards the left and up, all right, I need to cool the space and humidify the space. You know, maybe if I'm doing a process application or I'm in the desert or something like that, you know, I need to, get humidity back into the space, you know, or if you're, you know, trying to heat and, and add moisture, okay, I need to go from, you know, lower left to upper right. So I can see where I need to go. And just by seeing the slope of the line, which way we're headed on the chart, you know, if I'm going from left to right, I'm adding heat. If I'm going from right to left, I'm, I'm, you know, removing sensible heat. If I'm moving up on the chart, I'm adding moisture. If I'm moving down on the chart, I'm removing moisture. It'll just give you an idea of, like you said, where you are and where you need to to be and what process needs to happen to get there. And that's one of the things, yeah, if you just plot the two points, you know, I need to be here, I'm here, you'll know exactly, you know, at least the direction you need to go and what what processes need to happen to that air. Mm -hmm. and, and just to bridge the gap between technician and engineer, because I'll, I'll be the first to admit that um, technicians tend to, especially on social media, they'll poke fun at engineers and engineers might poke fun at back at the technician. And it seems like there's always a battle, like the, the, the technician's like, oh, the engineer didn't design it right. The engineer or, or the technician will say that about the engineer. The engineer will be like, well, the technician on site doesn't know what they're doing because <laughs> I designed it right, right? So there's always this, there's always this battle. So 
I, I think we need to bridge the gap be- between the two. And I, and I think the way to bridge the gap is to um, help technicians understand what an engineer has to go through to design the system. But I also think engineers, in order to bridge the gap back to, 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 to the level of a technician, is to be on site a little bit more and see, like, um, after it's been built, like, yeah, that door is not in the right place. We can't even open it to act like just just and then correct these things as we go through to make it more fluid. Right. And and one of the, the ways I think we can maybe help with that is let the technician understand. So what you're describing there and what we talked about with the, the plotting the two points, how often would, would an engineer use that? as a as a point to start with in their design process like going out with a psychrometric chart not even going out but just getting some some simplified basic readings they need to plot it and go okay so we need to get there with this space now we're going to start um picking and choosing equipment that could do that and, and sizing it out pro- like where does that process start for an engineer so it it actually starts when you're trying to get the building load and as you you know anymore everyone uses you know load software that's going to do the the calculations for you in the background Mm -hmm. but as you're putting in you know your internal loads and you're putting in your infiltration which is unfortunately a lot of times a guess you know even during the the construction phase you're like what type of building is it what's the construction type what kind of insulation are we using and you have to make an educated guess on how tight that building is going to be and then you know in any kind of commercial building you're going to have outside air to contend with as well and ideally, you'll be positively pressurizing the space so that you're negating some of the infiltration, you know, but we go down as far as, you know, putting in windows and doors and putting, you know, how often does the door open to help be more accurate on infiltration. And then once you get your loads put in and your building envelope built in the in the software, it'll run a calculation for you and it'll tell you, okay, I need, you know, 58,000 total BTUs and, you know, 20,000 is, you know, latent and the remainder is sensible. And you can kind of see, you know, what kind of sensible heat ratio you have there, um, which is just the um, sensible heat divided by the uh, total heat in the space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most standard HVAC equipment without getting into uh, complex controls or higher and stuff can can handle around a 0.75 sensible heat ratio. Now we're looking at that at a peak design day, Um, you know, on off-peak times, you know, when it's temperate outside, but you still have internal latent loads, you can end up with higher humidities in this transition seasons uh, pretty quickly because the system doesn't need to run because we only run it off a thermostat usually for a, a basic, you know, system. We're not having any, you know, relative humidity controls and most basic thermostats, like you know, I'm very familiar with the Pro 8000s, they're, they're pretty great, but they give you this option to overcool to dehumidify. And that only works if you're kind of on the edge. Once you get too far into a area where you're you're very much so too humid, you'll overcool and you just you'll never catch it. You'll just stay at a high relative humidity, and you'll you'll go from seventy two degrees and sixty percent down to you know sixty nine degrees and sixty two percent. You're like, well, it didn't get any drier, and the system's just always running. I'm always just cold mm-hmm. and humid. And you can hit that in those shoulder seasons, especially, you know, in a building that has, you know, like a lot of glass, because you have so much sensible load from that glass when you have a sunny day. When that sensible load goes away, your sensible heat ratio shifts drastically to, you know, much lower. 
And the system just can't handle that sometimes. And that's where you may need to add or look at adding dehumidification. And so these are things we have to think about, you know, from an engineering perspective. And then, you know, from a building science perspective, we have to make sure that did we actually get the building envelope built right? Is it even the HVAC's fault or is the HVAC system running properly? And that's where you can use those probes and say, hey, I've got the correct, you know, BTUs coming out of this machine. And you look back at the load and said, okay, well, I've definitely got the load covered. So where is this extra load coming from? Is it is it infiltration? Did we add people? Did we add 15 more computers and we turned a break room into a call center? You know, what changed? What what happened in this building that's different from what the engineer thought was going to happen? Mm-hmm. And that's where it's important, like you said, to get the engineers out into the field and, and working with the technicians. Because the technician's always going to know more than the engineer when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of how that system operates. You know, when you get into... You know, the, the circuit boards, the contactors and all that, you know, and even down into refrigerant cycles. We study refrigerant cycles, but you guys do it on a daily basis and it's just second nature at this point, you know, yeah. or we don't. So it takes that partnership. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's bridging the gap. And it's it's funny that you like, I don't know how many times I've because uh, we used to do a lot of server rooms where I used to work a lot of server rooms. I, I spent years and years and years where. I actually felt so comfortable in a server room, even though it was a critical environment. I felt so comfortable and they were clean, most of them. And the ones that had backup, um, it was awesome because you could shut any unit down and work on it. The backup was running away and you're, you're, in this, you're inside in the winter. And if it was a really hot, humid day, you were inside in a cool environment. But we'd get these calls a lot of times where, hey, the room is too hot. And you'd walk in and go, everything's running. Like, but where did that server rack come from? Like that wasn't there the last time we, you know what I mean? And and they're like, well, we didn't add any servers. Well, yeah, you did. It's right there. There's like, there's like two server racks that you've just added to this room. Um, so you're overloading it as far as, uh, as far as um, how the room was working before. So yeah, that, that, that is something a lot of technicians need to look out for and, and not get blamed for the actual performance of the unit when it's not, the performance of the unit's fault it's something else that happened with like either load was added or load was removed or the building envelope now has as somebody threw a, a baseball through a window and there's a hole in it and nobody noticed like th- obviously that's far-fetched but it's it's just like something is is causing the the, the building envelope to to be um sacrificed in a way where the the, the the hvac units that were there are no longer able to handle it because we've done something to the the building but i as you were talking i was thinking about another way to, to use a psychrometric chart that i probably could have used back in the day if i was a little bit more patient and thoughtful at the time but i used to work on this uh this unit that it was for so the the basic premise of this setup was they tested uh airplane sensors in this chamber and they blew air by it at, at a high pace, obviously, it has to be at the pace that the that the airplane is moving, right? So they would they would take these temperatures up to um, desert type environments, um, like Arctic type environments. So they would heat it, they would cool it, they would do all kinds of things to this air, and, and have this air moving by as fast as an airplane would would be going to test these sensors as as a quality control measure. And they had a dehumidification unit they would use for some sort of um, tests and it was on the roof and what they would it would a condensing unit with a cooling coil it would cool the air going in and then it would warm the air back up and and there's a bunch of times 
And then I think it also had a like a, an HRV, like a, a heat wheel, like a, an ERV type thing as well. I, I can't remember the setup before, but a bunch of times, and it was old, it was an old system. There was always problems with it. And I was working on it one day and, and it was, I, it was cooling fine, but it wasn't reheating properly. It was, it was heating, but it wasn't reheating properly and they weren't getting the numbers they needed downstairs. So I'm thinking uh, if I had a, a psychrometric chart and I plotted the outside air temperature, um, we're here. Um, okay. Once we get by the cooling coil, take another temperature there. Okay. We're here now. Um, where do I need to be on the other end of that, of that, um, that heating cycle to get the air where they want it. Right. So if I were able to plot those things and go, okay, wait a minute. Um, all I got to do is raise the temperature two degrees and I'm going to get exactly where I want. And then I could dial in the heating side of that thing to get another two more degrees out of it. I mean, I think that would be a cool way to, to utilize a psychrometric chart and see it in front of your face and actually bring that temperature up and then see that the readings would change once you do that. That'd be kind of cool, right? Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, like you said about the building envelope too, is, you know, I've been out to residences where they're complaining it's, it's, it's humid. It's humid. There's a problem with the, the AC is not working right. And then you start investigating, you know, and one of the other things you can use is just one of those little, um, you know, infrared temperature measuring guns with a little laser pointer on it and kind of point it at a grill and see, okay, that grill's 52, that grill's 52. Go along. Wait, why is that one 80? Hang on. That one's not connected, you know, up in the attic. The original install missed it, or or they had a, a guy run speaker wire and he kicked the duct off, and now you've got attic air from a vented attic pouring into the house, you know. Or, oh my gosh, the makeup air is stuck open, you know. You can find things like that. And if you start plotting and see, well, this system's giving me three tons, and you didn't have a problem six months ago with a three-ton system, you were happy, right? Yep, okay, yep, everything was good. So that's where you come back to what changed. And... You know, you can look at it on a psychometric chart and you'd be like, okay, there's just no way this house can be, you know, at these conditions unless, you know, we're getting infiltration from somewhere. And and so, yeah, you start plotting things and you kind of start seeing something doesn't add up and then you can start looking other places and then you're not getting the blame. Now you're the hero because it's not an AC problem anymore. Oh, you found my, you know, hole in my building envelope. You found, you know, that... The, the ductwork had an issue because we had, you know, someone crawled through the attic or even the homeowner, I put a bunch of boxes up in the attic. Now the AC doesn't work. Well, did you hit a piece of ductwork and not even realize it? Did you knock the return off and you're pulling the attic air in? You know, and it, that could be even worse in a, in a, you know, heating climate. You, you end up with it, you know, being too cold because you're bringing in a bunch of cold outside air. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and what I'm going to say to this is, is cause there's probably technicians going, well, I'm, I'm never going to go into a house and plot anything. And, and cause I, I was under that impression too, when I was in school, I'm like, I'm never going to use this when I'm out in the field. But as you encounter chronic problems, it's, it's going to be something that could solve the problem for you and your customer. And you're going to look like the hero. There's a lot of times where there's chronic problems, like a customer will call out company A, They'll come out and they'll be like, ah, you're, you need a new furnace or whatever. And the customer's like, my furnace is nine years old and I never had this problem two years ago. And then they'll call out customer or, or company B and, and they won't be able to figure out the problem. So now if you're called out as the second or third opinion, I mean, being armed with this type of information that allows you to investigate further than the other companies almost now is not just an, a technician, but as a consultant that knows how air works and how 
ventilation and infiltration and a, and a building envelope works is going to make you a little bit more valuable. And, and now you can start charging a little bit more money because you're more educated and you can solve these problems. So maybe, maybe the first bunch of times you go in, it, you might plot it out and stuff. But as you start to plot things and see the problems around and, and you start to get smarter with, with building science and building envelopes, maybe the 10th the time you walk into a home, you don't even have to plot it because you know what to look for now, right? You know the questions to ask. You know what to look for. And maybe you'll find it within a few minutes instead of going through this whole process of plotting and, and, um, and equations and all that. You'll be like, well, wait a minute. This sounds like the problem I had at so-and-so's place. I'm going to go check that out. Oh, there it is. The same exact thing. We, we got some infiltration coming up from the attic and, and it's coming down into the space. And, and I had a, a hunch that's what it was. And, and you kind of hit on, a, on another point without directly hitting on it, too, is a lot of times our customers lose faith in our industry because there's, you know, these challenges that are hard to figure out. And if you're not armed with that knowledge, um, you can't restore that faith. You know, if you have two people come out and say, oh, it needs this. The next person come out and says, oh, no, I think it needs this. They start wondering, you know, am I am I someone not telling the truth or or is it? And a lot of times it's just a, a lack of, of of knowledge. And I think, you know, everyone here listening to the podcast is trying to get that knowledge. And when you do that for a customer and say, OK, nope, here's the problem and here's why. And I can show you on this chart, you restore that faith in the customer and that customer gains confidence in, in you as a company and you as an individual and, you know, that customer will come back to you and be like, hey, you know, I've got this problem. Can, can, you, can you talk to me about it? And that's a really good uh, tactic to, one, get return customers. Because even if they, you know, don't use you that day, if you sit there and show them that you know the science behind it, and you can, you know, you can give them, print out a bunch of these little psychometric charts, show them where they are, and, you know, then they can go and, and research it if they want. Or they can be like, wow, you know, this guy really, it's impressive to a customer, you know, to see that you're actually trying to, solve the problem with information and pre present information that you know other people didn't present and it, it it makes you more of a consultant like you said than just you know walking in and, and trying to fix the problem now you're a partner on their team to solve the problem at the end of the day you know whether they buy it from company a b or c we, we want to make a working building and we want to solve the problem because if you solve the problem you'll have a return customer and you won't have um you know, the, the, the lack of faith that we can, you know, struggle with sometimes when customers have three or four people out to their house and don't have a, the problem solved. Yeah, exactly. And, and at least if, if, you, if you're up front with this information and go, this is why, uh, this is why, like, for, for instance, here's one that uh, it, it's sort of in, in the works right now. This customer I was speaking to, they want to go with a central heat pump. They want to they remove their, like, they're, they're very... Um, I don't know how to how to describe sort of the their 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 thought process, but they they've got solar panels on their roof. Um, they want to get rid of the the, the gas um, fired Let's equipment. Try to decarbonize. That's 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 what be more green. That, that's what they want to do, right? So there's a lot of people that don't that don't agree with it. They think it's it, whatever. I'm not here to debate that. I'm just what that's that's what that's what their plan is. So they want to remove the gas. They want to go with a heat pump, and. Um, but they're they have a they have a basement that is i would say their basement is it, it's sort of like it's a walkout basement so they have a lot of they have a lot of uh exposed area to the outside in the basement and they're and they're saying well the basement's cold and it needs supplemental heat 
And I said, well, yeah, I mean, they're like, can we zone it? And I said, it's going to be really expensive to zone this. Um, super expensive to, to zone it and make sure it works properly. And they're like, well, what about a small ductless system? And I'm like, yeah, we could, we could put a small ductless system. But at the end of the day, we went through a bunch of options. They were presented with the options from, from the knowledge I have and the research I did. And if, if they say no, 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 uh, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if the heat pump goes in, they go, well, my basement's still cold. And I'm like, well, I told you the heat pump wasn't going to fix the basement issues, right? At the end of the day, that's been told to them already. So they can't come back at you on it. Because I know a lot, I've spoken to a lot of customers that they think that, oh, they got, um, their son's bedroom is cold. Um, they think that changing the furnace is automatically going to make their son's bedroom warm. Now I'm like, no, 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 that's not going to change the cold. The fact that your son's bedroom is cold. There's something else going on there. You might not have a large enough duct run to that to that room. Um, more, more than likely, you have a lot of cold air infiltration in that room, and that's what's causing the problem. That, that could be really expensive to fix, so you have to look at the options. But I, I going through all these options and being educated on them and explaining to the customer, these are your options. If you cross them out as we go, don't expect your option that you choose to fix a chronic problem you've been having for years. And that's all laid out now, and they can't come back and blame you for it. So that's where that education and knowledge and nerdiness, as I as I said in the beginning, can can be really handy to 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 the technician, the company, the owner, the man, whoever is running the the, the service or install department. And, and uh, you mentioned heat pumps too. That's one of the things that I you know until you experience a heat pump and realize you know that air isn't you know 130 degrees coming out of that duct. It's it's kind of more like maybe 85 or 90 and it runs a lot longer and you don't get that like especially if you have floor distribution you can stand over a register oh i feel that warm air coming up into the heat pump it's not the same so if someone goes from a you know a, a furnace and they they're like oh i want to go to heat pump to be more efficient and decarbonize well it's going to work a little different mm-hmm. you know it's one of the things you kind of have to make sure the customer understands it you're not going to get the same high temperature air that, that you're going to get it's going to be more energy efficient maybe you know, down to a point, you know, but if you have a, a negative nine degree day, your electric heat's going to be kicking on, you know, to, to, to catch up yep. when you're in your defrost cycle. Yep. But For sure, man. All right. Well, I mean, the psychrometrics, it's, it's kind of like, a, it's, it, it, it really needs some, some, uh, if, if you're not already into it, you really need to take some time to, to learn it. And, and all you got to do really to, to get going is grab a psychrometric chart that's that's wipeable. That's what I used to have. I used to have this big, huge, big, huge one. I don't know what the size was, but it was pretty massive. And we just used like the washable pens on it and plot things. And, and and that was my experience with psychrometrics. And I never understood the value of it back then. But as we get more into building science and, and building envelopes and, and uh, efficiencies and, and this and that, I think that psychrometrics and knowing it and being able to plot this stuff is going to be more valuable to the average technician going forward. And, and definitely. And the other thing is just don't be afraid of it. It's, um, it's, it seems really complex and there's a ton of information on these charts, yep. but when you start breaking it down and just go, well, let me just plot my dry bulb, my relative humidity, and, and then let me look at my gauges and have it calculate enthalpy and everything else, write those numbers down and then go back and you can get, oh, okay, that's where that came from on the chart. You can kind of reverse solve some of it mm-hmm. with the new technology that we have, or you can put it into a uh, digital calculator on your phone and it'll give you all, you know, all these other state points and go, okay, where did that come from? Yep. You can start 
figuring it out because you know when you first look at this chart it's a it's a jumbled mess there's stuff everywhere and it all means different things but you know if you start just using it and getting comfortable with it because even even me you know i i had to become you know an expert on it a couple years ago for for an exam i had to take um to get my pe license and and i was really sharp with it and then i haven't used it as much in the last couple of years and my skills on it have rapidly degraded. So it's like if you use it just a little bit every day, um, you can definitely stay up on it and, and get more proficient and and be more proficient than you know most of the engineers out there mm-hmm. because most of us aren't using it on a daily basis to that level. And we should be. We're letting the software do it and we're not going back and thinking about it because it just gives you this better understanding when you sit down and you, you write it on paper, it slows you down. You start thinking and and you know that tactile having that piece of paper in front of you or that or that mark remarkable chart where you could just mark it and look at it and think about it you'll go ah okay that's what's going on yeah. there that's why and it's not just you know numbers spit out of a of, of a set of gauges or or a software program it's it starts becoming you know you start being able to relate it to how that air feels and and what's going on in the space a lot a lot better yeah so. for sure man all right cool so we'll we'll end this one off for now and um Hopefully the audience has become a little bit more ingrained in, in psychometrics and wanting to learn more about it. And that's the whole point here is, is just to provide some some conversation around it and, and hopefully that sparks some some more uh, interest. So, John, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time today, man, especially over the holidays here. No, thank you for taking the time with me. And um, if you need anything else, you know, let me know and I'm happy to come on and, and we can definitely go over more and get into more detail. Uh, maybe we can even uh, get some visuals uh, that can be downloaded at some point. You know, definitely just uh, you can find a, a psychometric chart uh, for free on the on the web. You can find a couple different ones. So just uh, print a couple out, you know, and take a look at it. Awesome. That's kind of awesome. Where I want to leave you guys. So, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I got to say that I listen to each and every single interview after sometimes more than once. And I take in more when I listen than I'm when I'm actually interviewing because when I'm listening, I'm fully engaged and and all I have to do is listen. When I'm interviewing, I'm thinking about the next question and moving the, the, the conversation along, if you will. Right. And I think when I'm listening to conversations that I have with other people that are giving out this information, taking their time to do that, it generates thought process within my head and how to tackle things in different ways and do things a little bit better. And I'm hoping that's what it does for you guys. When you just listen to two people discussing the trade who are passionate about it and want others to pick up and learn from it. So you came along for the ride. Thank you. I really appreciate that. John, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Once again, thank you to the master group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.